everyone. This is God Talk with Tara, and uh, as you might have guessed, I'm Tara. We are going to start off, as we always do, with prayer, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like when we encounter God. Father, we thank you so much for all that you do. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. I thank you, Father, for the people that you have surrounded me with, and I thank you, Lord, for the people you've surrounded whoever's listening with as well. And Father, for those who are maybe feeling like they are not so surrounded, I pray that they would know that you are with them, that you love them, that you would fill them, Father, that you are enough and that you will fill in all of the gaps. You will draw what they need and you will be all that they have need of in this world and the next. God, I thank you for your messages. I thank you for the time to be able to speak here each night. Um, and I thank you that you give me words that make some sense and that speak hopefully to the needs of those who are hearing. I pray, Lord, that tonight you would make me small and that you would make Jesus magnificent and wonderful and amazing because that is who he is, Lord God. And I want more than anything for this to always put that in front of people. Because it is the wonder and the hope and the love and the awesomeness of Christ that is our hope in a world that is so often dark and off track. So Lord, I pray that tonight we would make Jesus magnificent through your words, that you would keep me out of the way, Lord God, and that you would speak what you need people to hear. And I pray, Lord God, that you would go before me, that you would go before the words that come out of my mouth into the ears that are going to hear them, that you would carry this podcast to whoever needs to hear it, Father God, and that you would give them ears to hear. And in their hearing, Lord, I pray that they would hear your voice, that they would recognize it, Lord God, and that they would know that they are in your presence. Father, I am so grateful for all you do. We ask all of this tonight and confidence that you will do these things in Jesus name and by your spirit and all for your honor and glory. Um, so things have sort of wound down a bit at Asbury as many of you, if you've been following that probably already know, um, they, there's been all sorts of outcry that they moved it off campus. And I don't know that they actually found a location yet for people that are not students to be gathering. And after Thursday night, I believe that even the, the student gatherings are going to come to something of a close. Um, and there's been a lot of speculation about Asbury and their motives. There's been a lot of speculation about others. There's been a lot of um, criticism of revival in general. So I have heard the gamut from what's going on at Asbury is not revival because you don't see people falling out on the floor it, to uh, criticism of other revivals because you see people falling out on the floor. And there is a plethora of opinions as to what marks a true revival. Now, there are some things that definitely mark a true revival. So um, I'm not sure where the quote came from. I don't remember off the top of my head and God doesn't let me write those things down. But one of the things I had read talks about that a, a revival will point to Jesus. 
that the Holy Spirit will point us to Jesus. He will point us to repentance. He will point us to the scripture, to the word of God. He will point us to the glory of God. Um, and I think there was one other, but that, that was sort of the gist of all of them was that they point back to God. They point back to Jesus Christ. They point back to the scripture. They point to repentance. They point to reconciliation with the Lord. That That is the purpose of revival or awakening or outpouring or whatever you want to call it. The purpose of the Lord coming into our midst is to glorify himself and to draw us into reconciliation. And part of that is repentance and part of that is deliverance and part of that is is the scriptures and, and lifting Jesus up. So those are definitely true marks of any revival. Um, if a revival is not lifting up Jesus and a revival is not pointing you to the scripture and a revival is not pointing you to the power of the Holy Spirit to repent you and deliver you and um, forgive you and you are not finding yourself in the presence of God, you are finding yourself simply emotional, then you are not in a revival um, and you want to be careful of that. We do want to test the spirit. The scripture tells us to test the spirits that come to us. It, it tells us that we should test the messages that come to us from prophets and from teachers. It tells us we should know our Bible well enough to know the counterfeits that come into the world. The, the letters from John tell us that there are false teachers that will go out. That there will be antichrists coming, um, not big A antichrists, but many antichrists coming to preach against the things that Christ told us. And many of them will be containing enough of the truth to deceive many. There's all sorts of stuff about that in scripture. And so it is important for us to value our skeptics. That's what some of the conversations I've been having this week is you know, on the one hand, I am sharing what I witnessed at Asbury, and I'm sharing what I have witnessed of the people who have been guiding this and shepherding this, as they put it, and, and stewarding this. Um, I've been witnessing to what I know of them and what I have seen, and in order to combat the notion that we should automatically discount anything like this that's going on or that it's simply a a ploy for attention or whatever um, because that's gossip and that's lies and it's slander and it shouldn't be left without being addressed when God leads me to address that. I can't address the whole internet so obviously I'm not going to spend all day having those conversations with 50,000 different people. Um, but every now and again, I will stumble across something where the Lord says, yes, this is a place where you need to put that information that you have in your head and share it so that people can see the witness to what I have done. And so I do. Um, but what I have noticed is a lot of those people that I'm having conversations with in that, in that mindset, um, Everybody piles on and yells at them for, for being skeptical of what's going on. They, they draw a lot of uh, fire and are accused of being cynical and um, all sorts of things that, that make them feel kind of attacked. And I can't say that I blame them because they really are being attacked by those who are very, very enthusiastic about the idea of revival. 
Um, they're very hungry for God, I am assuming, and that's what that's about. But the reality is, is we should be skeptical of things that we have not experienced for ourselves. We should test what is going on and we should test what it looks like, whether or not what we're seeing and what we're hearing and what is going on from our understanding matches with the scripture, because the Bible is the revelation of God to the world. It's his revelation to humanity of who he is and how he has moved in the world in the past. And while he is not in a box and he is perfectly capable of doing things that he's never done before, he's God, um, what he's not capable of doing is going against his own nature because God is God. And so he's not suddenly going to be something other than God. And so whatever he does in the here and now will not be contradictory to his nature, which he has revealed to us in scripture. So it's important that we test these things about what God has already shown us of himself so that we know if what we are witnessing looks like God. And so we're going to take a look a little bit tonight. Um, God actually gave me a whole lot of scripture, and I don't know that I'm going to get to all of it tonight. Um, but I wanted to touch on some of these things because the Bible actually tells us what it looks like when people encounter the Holy Spirit or when they encounter God. So we forget sometimes that Jesus was God. Where he went, he carried with him the Spirit. He carried the Holy Spirit in him and with him from the time of his baptism all the way through his ministry. We see him walking in the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit within him um, and in the power of the presence of, of his Father. And so we see what it looks like when we look at Jesus's ministry. We see what it looks like when people encounter the presence of the living God. And we can learn things from that about what it looks like now in our day when people encounter the presence of the living God. Because essentially that is what revival or awakening or an outpouring is. It is a time and a place among a certain group of people where they encounter the presence of the living God. And what we see from that is sometimes sensational, sometimes not. And we get a little, a, a lot of pushback um, if it's not what we think it should be, if it doesn't look like what we expect it to look like, uh, there's a lot of pushback and a lot of opining about what a real revival should look like. So I want to look at Bible and see what the Bible says it looks like when we encounter God, when human beings encounter the presence of the living God. So we're going to start in, let's see, let's say Luke 4. We're going to start in Luke 4, and we're going to look at Jesus. He had come back out of the, the wilderness, and he comes and he goes to Nazareth. He goes home, and he goes to preach. 
on the Sabbath day, or he goes to read on the Sabbath day, and he goes into the synagogue, and they hand him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he unrolls it, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, some of them, they all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? And Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what you have heard. We have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And so we see two things here. At first, right, at first, when the people hear him, and they hear what he has said, that this this proclamation of good news is, is being fulfilled in their hearing, they're amazed and they speak well of him. And, and so they're, they're excited by the presence of God and it's a fairly pleasant experience. And then all of a sudden Jesus convicts them with his next words. He talks about no prophet being accepted in their hometown. And he basically calls them out as, as not being, now see here in Luke, he, he seems kind of a little bit harsh, but what we hear in Matthew's version of this when he goes to, to Nazareth is that their lack of faith made it so that he could not do many miracles there. That because they were so overly familiar with him and they did not believe when he said he was the son of God that had come to them as the Messiah, he could not do many miracles there. And so... This passage here in Luke sounds a little bit harsh here, but when you put it in context of the visit he had in Nazareth, he is basically saying, you guys all want me to do these things for you that you've heard I've done elsewhere, but you don't believe I am who I say I am. And, and you need to repent. And so then they get very angry with him for this. So we have two reactions here to the presence of the living God. We have a very surface reaction of, of being amazed and, and thinking well. And then we have a much more gut level reaction of being very angry in the presence of the Lord. Um, being very angry that he calls us out and that he makes us feel bad or second guess or question ourselves. So that's, um, that's one encounter we have. In, oh, let's see where we're going to go next. Yeah, so in Matthew, we have Matthew chapter 8. 
And Jesus and the disciples have been uh, preaching and they've been ministering and they get on a boat. I just say Jesus in boats is kind of a funny thing. So then he get in, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. When he arrived on the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, now we talked about this the other night, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So now we have the wind and the waves react to the presence of the living God. He commands them to be still and they are still. And this amazes those who are with him and, and causes them to whisper amongst themselves and to wonder what it is that they are actually in the presence of, what power it is that they have come into the presence of. And it causes them some awe and probably a little bit of trembling. I don't know about you, but if I was in a deadly storm and the man that I had been traveling with stood up and told it to stop and it did, I would be trembling a little at the power that I was with. And it was a witness to who Jesus was to them. They, they understood that the only one that had control of the wind and the waves was God was Yahweh. That was the only one that was able to control the wind and waves. So when Jesus was able to speak that way to the wind and the waves and they listened, it confirmed in their minds what they had already begun to know and understand that this was the chosen one of God that he had sent with authority, with the authority of heaven. But after this, so right after he, you know, commands the authority with the authority of heaven, he commands the elements themselves. They get to this, this, region of the Gerardines and there we've got the demon possessed man. Now the story we read last time we were talking about this was the one where it was just one demon possessed man. And you get that in the gospels where the accounts are slightly different. Um, a lot of people get a little twitchy about that. I will just tell you that no two eyewitness accounts are ever the same in court. A cop will tell you that every single time. Um, and God gives us different perspectives for good reason. So, I'm not too worried about the fact that one story has one and one has two demon-possessed men. The basic story is the same. So these demons recognize the Son of God, and they instantly begin to cry out. They begin to um, plead with him not to torture them. They begin to sort of taunt him a little bit um, about it being before the appointed time, are you coming to torture us? And, and they beg him to send them into this herd of pigs. And so you have demons that tremble and beg and make a really huge ruckus when they come into the presence of God. 
And so he drives them out. They go into the pigs and the pigs drown in the water. And now we have the reaction here of the pig herders um, who run off and bring back the whole town to see what had happened and to meet this Jesus. And the whole town goes out to meet Jesus. So they're very interested to see who this man is, right? They come from, from assuming a ways away to come and see what has happened. But then when they do see him, when they come into contact with him, their instinct is to plead with him to go away. Now that kind of reminds me of a passage I don't have up, but back when Moses leads the people out of Egypt and they're in the wilderness and God descends on the mountain to meet with Moses and he comes down in clouds and lightning and thunder and the people are terrified they are absolutely petrified and they beg god to talk to moses and leave them alone so that's another reaction that we sometimes get is we ask that god goes through an intermediary that we don't we don't want to come to him directly because we're fearful of what will happen so fear is one of the reactions that often happens when we come into the presence of a holy god um now these here all right so we have another where jesus has just been up on the mountain the Mount of Transfiguration, we're coming to that time. In fact, we may have already passed that time. They're coming to the Mount of Transfiguration and you have the, the disciples in the Mount of Transfiguration looking at Jesus and in wonder because they're in the presence of, of the living God and he has brought back Moses and Elijah, and he's been transfigured into his glorified body um, briefly. And so you have a, a wonder and awe with Peter and James and John. And then they come down the mountain and the disciples they had left behind were having a problem because a man had brought his son, who he said was demon possessed. So Jesus says, fine, bring him. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And this is one of my favorite lines in scripture. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Now, we got a whole bunch of people here reacting to the presence of the living God, right? So we have the boy's father who reacts as a father who is very worried for his son. So he's a little forward with the Lord, and he's a little pushy, and he's a little demanding. And Jesus' response is, if I can, really? And the man's response to that is, help me. So he cries out 
for help for his son and help for himself. But you also have the demon here. The demon, first he throws the boy on the ground and he starts him foaming at the mouth. And so this boy is sitting there convulsing on the ground. And I'm, presumably he settles down a little bit. And then you have the crowd coming to see what's going on because crowds are like that. They want to see. They're excited by the drama of these kinds of things. And Jesus rebukes the spirit and the spirit shrieks. A mute spirit that does not talk shrieks, convulses the boy again and comes out. Now, I want you to picture that scene in your head, and I want you to think about that, because that must have been a sight. You have this child, or you know, possibly a little older if it had been many years, um, basically having what to us would look like a grand mal seizure. He's foaming at the mouth, and then he's shrieking as a spirit rips out of him, and his whole body is convulsing violently enough to make it seem like he is dead. That sounds like a fairly large spectacle, as does the, the scene with the pigs and the demon coming out um, with the pigs. So you have those ones. And then you have this. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. And so here we have a repentant sinner's reaction to the presence of a holy God. We have tears. We have weeping and washing of feet. We have adoration and an overwhelming sense of gratitude that causes us to cry. So that's another reaction that we get. And I'm going to look at one more, and then we'll look at one beyond that. So this is also one of my favorite, if somewhat sorrowful, passages of scripture. Because it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture of what God can do in the worst circumstances. So this is in Acts 7, and it is right before the church begins to be scattered. It's the first time we see Saul. And Stephen has been brought before the Jewish leaders. And they have accused him of blasphemy. And he has gone through the whole list of um, the history of Israel and, and their stiff-neckedness and what they have done to Christ and all of this. He's gone through the whole gospel pretty much from the beginning of of Abraham um, and he comes to the end and he says to them you stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist the Holy Spirit 
as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, these holy things spoken by the Holy Spirit through Stephen. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. I want you to picture this. Stephen is in agony and he has been brought before the rulers who he knows can kill him and probably will. He's the first martyr in scripture. And in this moment of time, the Holy Spirit falls on him and engenders rage in those who don't know him. And at the same time, he grants Stephen this glorious picture of heaven. And then he carries him to his father. So submission, sublime joy, sublime beauty, boldness to speak God's truth, calling people to repentance. These are all marks of the encounters that we have with the Holy Spirit. And really, if you look at these accounts, things that we've been talking about, what you will see is that those who know the Spirit, those who know Jesus Christ, those who recognize the Spirit for what it is, those who recognize Jesus as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings and the representative of a Father here on earth, and they recognize the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of the living God who has come to minister to them, who has come to correct them, rebuke them, whatever it is he's come to do. When they recognize him, the result is weeping and gratitude and repentance. When Peter preached on Pentecost, the result of the Holy Spirit moving through him, the result of the, the what he preached, the result of the Holy Spirit speaking through the people in various tongues was repentance and deliverance for 3,000 people. And so on the one hand, those who recognize the Holy Spirit for what he is and accept the Lordship of Christ, the responses to the presence of the Holy Spirit tend to be joy, joyful. They tend to be tears. Sometimes they might be laughter. Sometimes it's just an overwhelming peace. And there's a reason for this. So and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to that because first I want to look at the other reactions because there's a lot of other reactions that you get from those who don't recognize the Lordship of Christ or those who do recognize the Lordship of Christ, but they're demons. 
And so they have a very bad reaction to the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the demonic reaction is usually loud. It is usually violent. It is usually chaotic. Um, it's usually ugly. And truthfully, the reaction of human beings who reject the sovereignty of God and who reject the presence of the Spirit is also usually very loud and ugly. It's usually not quite as dramatic, but it is often just as violent. And so, particularly when you're dealing with the demonic, one of the things that you want to keep in mind is that sometimes revivals are going to be really, really chaotic and loud and ugly and violent. That's not going to be the whole of them, but you're going to see things like that happening because in those cases, those revivals are targeted by God towards those who do not already know him and towards those he is calling to him and towards those he has purposed to deliver from the demonic and the sinful influences in their lives. And what happens when the power of God clashes with the power of hell in an individual or in a large crowd of individuals is you get a battle. And so you get people falling on the floor and and you get people convulsing and you get people foaming at the mouth and you get all of these things going on that people oftentimes look at revival and they're like, oh, that's not of God. Well, that's probably true that the thing scree screeching on the ground is probably not of God. But what you are seeing is of God in that it is a reaction to the presence of God driving out those things that are holding people in bondage. The anger that you see in some people in these instances is the same thing. It is a reaction to the presence of God convicting them of the need for change and driving out the demons that haunt them that might not actually be demons. They may be habits like addiction and they may be drinking or they may be smoking or they may be sleeping around on their wives or pornography or any number of things that the Holy Spirit has come into them and said, you need to change these things. And their reaction is aggressive and angry because they don't want to hear that. None of us likes conviction. It's a rough thing. And so sometimes you're going to see really negative reactions in a revival situation. And the reason for that will not be because the revival is not godly and it's not God's presence that is driving those things. It will be because God is doing battle with the forces of the enemy in that space and in that time. And battles are messy. But you have other kinds of revivals that are targeted not towards conversion of, of those who are in sin and not towards um, dealing with demonic possession or dealing with harassment or dealing with it, but they're targeted instead towards God's own people, towards the people who already profess him, who already know him, who already love him and who are struggling. Whether that struggle is because it's been a long road and they're tired, whether it's because they've never had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the word tells us that can happen. Right. It says, um, forget which group it was, but there's a group of people that had John's baptism, but they'd never heard there was more than John's baptism. And so they, they prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit on them. Um, and, and so you have this 
times where the Lord pours out on his people who are already committed to him, but are in need of boldness, like Peter and the, and the apostles were after Peter was arrested. Um, but they are in need of relief from the harassment of the enemy. They are in need of relief from walking in the world and, and getting dirty along the way. And so the Lord sometimes pours out on his people. And it looks different when the Lord pours out on his people. It looks like the woman weeping and washing Jesus's feet with her hair. It looks like Stephen looking up to heaven, beautifully seeing God on his throne and Jesus at his right hand and asking for forgiveness for those who are killing him as he passes into the presence of the Lord. It looks like, it looks like, Hmm. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it looks like those things because those things are the fruit of the Spirit. And fruit takes a little time to grow, which means the fruit of the Spirit come to those who already know God who already know his voice, who are seeking him with their whole hearts, who are willing to repent and confess and be delivered and, and are not fighting with him about that. They're seeking him. The, the Spirit's already in them. And as he pours out on them, he grows the fruit of who he is in them. He amplifies himself in them. And all of that pours out of them, that love and that joy and that peace. And it resonates around through them and it pours outward from where it poured into because that's how the Holy Spirit works through his people. He pours into them so that he can pour out of them. That's what Asbury is. There were those who were complaining about, you know, they're not seeing conversions and, and that comes later with this kind of revival. Um, there are times first when the people of God need to be refreshed. Peter and, and the apostles and the people in the upper room, the Holy Spirit poured out on them first. Now what came out of them obviously was words and, and the power came on them. And so the, the going from the being emboldened and filled and overflowing to the going outward and, and converting came pretty quick, but it still came separately. First, the spirit came to the apostles. Then they poured him out to those around them. And so we see at Asbury a, an outpouring of God's spirit on God's people who were already looking to receive him, who came seeking him, who came praying for boldness, praying for a witness, praying like Peter and the apostles prayed after Peter went to jail. And they were praying for God to do a work in them. And because they were waiting to receive, it looks different than it looks with people who are in need of conversion and people who are needing deliverance from demons or from addictions and sins that they're holding on to and fighting with God about.
And so when you start to, to hear more in the world about revivals that are going on, and you will, because this isn't limited. God is pouring himself out on his people. There will be points where that overflows into people who are not God's people and it's going to get messy. And as you hear these things and as you are trying to figure out what is real and what is not and what is hype and what is sensationalism, go back to the word and try to see if you can understand who God has come to and what he's doing there and what those reactions are coming from. And you'll have a better idea of what it is when God is present and whether or not it's something else that you should be worried about and wary of. We are called to test spirits. We are called to test revival. We are called to test all of these things so that we won't be led astray. And it's important that we pay attention. But in that testing, in that skepticism, and in that desire, we cannot close ourselves off to the reality that we serve an active living God who is present in the world and who desires to draw his people to him. Um, I think that's it for tonight. Sorry, I went a little long. Father, I thank you for your movement in the world. I thank you for all that you are doing. I praise you for all that you are doing, and I pray that you will continue to do it here. I pray that you will continue to do it in the places where everybody is listening to this. I pray that you would pour out on each and every one of us, Lord God, that we would see the fruit of your spirit, your joy, your love, your peace, your forbearance, your kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that that would begin in us, Father, that it would grow so strongly that it would pour out of us, Lord God, and change the world around us. And Father, if that means sometimes it's going to get a little messy because there's people that need to be delivered because there's demons down in the valley that we need to go help. Father God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to deal with that and the understanding of how you're moving and what you need us to do. We thank you, Father, for all you do. We thank you for the deliverance that is coming. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. We ask all of this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all be blessed and be a blessing.